you protect what you love. Hunting is a life, not a lifestyle, it's a life. This is Hunters to show people how great of a job we're doing for conservation, providing for ourselves all the things you and I understand. I think you kind of owe it to the animal that you're hunting to be as prepared as possible. You know, as I get older, I appreciate the laughs and the time and the experience. Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast. This week, we have something I'm really excited about talking about. This is a uh, very cool program through the QDMA called uh, Field to Fork. And I've got Hank Forrester and Charles Evans here on the show with me today to talk about it. Guys, first off, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to try to explain what Field to Fork is myself when I've got y'all two on the phone. So one of y'all just kind of dive into it and kind of just tell me where uh, – before I even get where the idea came from, just kind of like what prompted y'all to start looking for something like this in the first place? You know, where what made y'all start looking for a, this kind of a program? Hank, do you want to you want to start off and sure tell them tell them what you do a little bit, and then I'll jump in there. Sure. So uh, Hank Forster, as you said, uh, worked for the Quality Deer Management Association and managed our hunting heritage programs and. Uh, Charles uh, Evans is the George R3 coordinator, so I uh, I sit on his committee. And uh, you know, one day over lunch, when we were thinking about things we could do to promote hunting, in um, we both live in Athens, Georgia, so you know, something we could pilot locally. Uh, we just came up with the idea of recruiting hunters from our local farmers market, and uh, it really grew from there. Um, I will go ahead and say though that Field to Fork is a partnership-based model, so it's right. uh, it's more than just QDMA. It's uh, the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, NWTF, Georgia Wildlife Federation, and QDMA. Yeah, so, and and to me that's what's that's what's even more cool about it is that you've got you know multiple people behind it. Is is what one of the things that I like about it. Absolutely. No, um, Charles, you you want to add something? Yeah, so just to back up for a second, I'm not sure all the all your listeners would know what R3 is. Yeah, so I was I'm actually going to ask y'all to highlight that. We So actually, um, I believe it was last week, but we had Eric Dinger from Powderhook on here. Um, okay. And we briefly touched on uh, R3. So, but it, yeah, so just kind of go over what you do and, you know, kind of what R3 is. I definitely want to, yeah, delve into that some if you can. Perfect. So I'm the, the Georgia Recruitment, Retention, and Reactivation coordinator and i'm focused on increasing hunting participation and societal acceptance of hunting in georgia and this was the the first position of its kind hired nationally right so it it was pretty unique and the way that it's set up as hank alluded to is it's a cooperative position so my funding actually comes from five different organizations yeah so qdma is one of the funding partners uh as as well as nwtf georgia dnr uh, Spark Club International, and then I actually work for Georgia Wildlife Federation. But gotcha. The way that that's set up, it keeps the the buy-in from all the partners. You know, a lot of people say, I know Hank has said this before, but there's no no competition in conservation. Right. So it kind of keeps everybody working together and moving forward. So part of this this pilot effort that was called Field to Fork was stemming from that. We were trying to target new audiences and the one of the most ripe audiences there is out there is this huge booty movement, you know, this locavore movement. Of yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
wanting all natural protein. They want to take ownership of their protein source. And so we just, we tapped into that. I mean, we were literally sitting at lunch one day and talking about what we wanted to do, you know, what was our pie in the sky idea here. And this was it. And so we, we moved forward with it. Yeah. So let me ask you before we, before we move any further with that, um, in Georgia specifically, I know from sitting in on, uh, that R3 meeting that we all went to and then just, you know, from being in Mississippi, I know what they say the national, you know, statistics are and and, and Mississippi is, is the y'all state of Georgia, is it seeing the same kind of declines in hunting numbers as, as everywhere else? Well, we actually did see a decline uh, since probably the late 80s, early 90s, but we're trending upwards and we have been since about 2009. Awesome. So we're, we're headed back in the right direction, but we're still not there. Right. Um, and, Obviously, that's going to be crucial to wildlife conservation, the future of it. Yeah, for sure. And nationally. Well, that's what one of the things that I liked about um, when I saw the the presentation about Field to Fork was that it was like something that uh, it just seemed so practical, you know, y'all's approach to it. You know, and and when I talked to, I'm sure, you know, I don't, Hank, when I talked to you after, you you know, that you gave that presentation, I think you said something. You're like, we're not doing anything. It's like you know, y'all, y'all aren't trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, it just seems pretty. Uh, I guess it's just a practical way of doing it. You know, and that kind of movement, like you said, the whole locavore movement. It just seems where hunting just somehow seemed to slip through the cracks until y'all started doing this kind of thing. And y'all have had some pretty amazing results so far, right? Have y'all not? Yeah. So um, it, it kind of stems from a few things. Um, you know, if if you're up on the data. You know, 5% of Americans 16 years older um, currently hunt, 5% of Americans. Uh, you know, more like 4% of Americans hunt deer. And we're fortunate that if you ask the general public uh, in the United States if they approve of hunting for meat, uh, around 78% of Americans approve of hunting when posed that way. So we've got this huge group of potential new hunters out there. And um, part of this program, what we found is – none of these people who have signed up for our program entertain the idea of starting on their own. So right. that that's a huge takeaway for me is there's all yeah. these groups out there that we don't have to change our message. We just have to understand what their desires to go hunting are. Yeah. And of course, food hunting for the meat is, um, you know, their biggest reason. Of course, we're getting uh, a lot of people answer a connection with nature. So kind of the, the mix of the two, the, the connection with nature and for the meat are the reasons why these new people are hunting. But, um, you know, kind of back to that lunch conversation, it, it stemmed from, I moved to Athens to work for QMA five years ago and, you know, moving to a new town, didn't know a lot of people getting to know people, you know, of course, one of the first things you talk about is what you do for a living. And I right. tell them that I work, I'd work in conservation and I, you know, I didn't really explain it all the time. And then, you know, weeks or months later, I'd mentioned that I was going hunting that weekend. And, they, you know, I'd get all these responses like, but you said you hunt in, or you work in conservation. And, you know, there's this huge disconnect. We've, we've probably done ourselves a huge disservice not educating the public on the contributions yeah. of hunters. Yeah. Um, but I see that growing. I think that story is being more and more told. But it just proved that there were all these people out there, especially in a, um, you know, small southern college town. Um, there are a lot of people out there that are concerned about where their food comes from, that want to get outdoors, that have interest in hunting and no avenue to pursue it. So it was just right. an obvious, you know, culmination of let's go set up a booth at the farmer's market. And, um, 
And you know what? We lead off. We we cook samples of venison. Um, you know, Charles makes jerky often, but we stand there uh, with a flyer aboard and we ask them if they would like to try some venison. We don't lead off with, hey, you want to go hunting? It's simply, would you like to try some venison? Yeah. And we've had a very, very warm reception from the people who run the farmer's market to the other vendors there, to the patrons, uh, even those who are not interested at all. Um, more often say, you know, it's not for me, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, we've gotten very few people who have ever, um, you know, not appreciated us being there. Yeah. And so to, to kind of, you know, go back on one of the one of the things that you said, because uh, I've thought about this often, too. You know, I kind of loop, you know, obviously Georgia, Mississippi, you know, southeast, um, this whole region, you know, kind of gets equated with with hunting a lot. You know, it's kind of got a pretty uh strong hunting heritage and so i think it, it's common that we think that most everyone here uh just kind of already knows about hunting and then you you know like what you were saying earlier you talking with people and you saying you work in conservation and then they get confused when you say that you were going hunting that's that's something that that i've seen here in in mississippi and in other states and like you said some somewhere along the way uh the ball got dropped even in this area it seems to be to an extent because if you know if we're not you know, educating that 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 the hunting that we're doing is very much a part of the conservation, and then we've done a disservice. But so to go back and ask too, so like the first time that y'all went to the farmers market, like the first trip, y- y'all got very positive responses that time that y'all went out. Yeah, we did. We were we were kind of we didn't really know what to expect. I mean, we weren't worried by any means. But right. We just we had our plan. We had how we were going to approach it. The flyer that we had. Um, Thankfully, we, we had a very attractive logo that was created by Kentucky Department of Natural Resources. <laughs> they have an excellent graphic designer, and they, they kind of started this program as well called Field to Fork, and we got a lot of our ideas from, from them, so we owe a lot to them as far as getting a head start. Yeah. And then on the back of this, this flyer, we had all the information about how hunting sports conservation, which, by the way, most hunters don't even know. Yeah. The last study that I saw, only 30% of hunters actually know how hunting sports conservation. So that's that's another educational campaign that we need that I think we're, we're working on as well. But right. And then with that, we had venison compared to, you know, USDA beef and then grass-fed beef, you know, just showing the different, the different nutritional benefits. And it was, as long as you approach it with facts, you stay objective – you know, you don't put biases in there. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. You know, everybody's going to be very welcome to the idea of hunting yeah. for meat, especially when it's marketed as conservation, yeah. which it is. Well, especially when you talk about, too, you know, I mean, just the statistic that uh, that Hank t- said earlier about 78% of the United States, didn't you say, you know, was okay with hunting for your own meat? So, I mean, you're going to have a, a large part i mean like the chances of you you know running into someone that's negative towards it are much much smaller it's just like you said like the way i went out there in the first place they just hadn't been it hadn't been shown to them you know um so tell me this you like so you know you get you do, you know you go to the farmer's market and you you obviously y'all have had some people that showed interest what was the the next step after that you know once they say yes they're interested in hunting what did y'all do with them after that so we we just had a contact email on there and would provide them a, a flyer. And then the next step was for them to email. I think it came through to my email and then we fielded applicants from there. 
and uh, we got them registered for the course. It was a, a formal structured course. We tracked it. We evaluated it. You know, we're trying to make sure that that we have all the data on this to show that it is actually working or to see if it's it's not working. But the preliminary right. data is, is showing that it is very effective. And then we we put them through the actual curriculum. Um, so we would bring them in for training sessions. And it was two weekday evening training sessions where we'd talk about conservation, you know, how it's supported by hunting historically and present day, uh, would do deer biology and how that relates to hunting strategy. And then crossbow instruction. So we use we use crossbows because this audience, the our theory anyways, was that firearms, at least initially, might be less palatable. Right. Right, yeah. And it actually turned out to be true. I mean we had quite a few people come up to us and be like, well, I'm interested, but I just don't know if I could shoot a gun. And they'd find out it was a crossbow, and all of a sudden they're taking a flyer, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. We have this stigma in our society, you know. But um, by the end of it, we had we had one girl saying that – I'll let – Hank, you want to tell that story? You tell it a lot better than I do. Well, um, yeah, I'll tell that story. But, you know, one point to back up to is, you know, what we found out is the vendors – that are selling produce at the farmer's market are, are hunters. Uh, they, they are also protecting their crops. So they're going further than hunting seasons often. So, you know, that this is happening, uh, whether people know it or not. So why not take advantage of, yeah. uh, of the resource? But, um, yeah, we've had a lot of diverse groups sign up. Um, as Charles was talking about that first, uh, time at the farmer's market in six hours, we filled up our, our program and many of them, uh, we, we had an organic farmer in the mix um, and her sister, who is a Montessori teacher, a um, couple undergrads, that kind of thing. But the, the, um, the organic farmer and uh, the Montessori teacher, they were sisters. And after the program had run, they didn't harvest a deer. And they came and uh, I let them check out a ground blind and a crossbow. And they went and set up on their organic farm. Um, we've since actually sold them deer fencing or, or put them to somebody who provides deer fencing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's gone for a circle, but anyway, uh, you know, they kept the equipment for, you know, five or six days and they brought it back to QMA office and I asked them, you know, how was it, how to go? I, I told them if they, if they shot something to give me a call, I'd make sure to come out there and help them out because, you know, a lot of this is just having the confidence and the skills to take care of an animal once yeah. you shoot at it. Yeah. Um, that's one of the huge barriers, but ask them how it went. And they said that this eight point buck came out to about 50 or 60 yards. And we, we don't shoot past 30 yards in the training. We don't you know advocate for really getting out there for these first time hunters right, first yeah. off. But so they, they didn't take a shot at 50 yards, but it was pulling up the turnips in their organic farm. And, you know, you know, as deer do, they take a couple bites and move on to the next one and leave in a minute. She said, if I had a dang machine gun, you know, just sitting there watching it eat their organic farm and being out of range. Yeah, they're watching and, uh, it. Yeah. You know, so, so these people that are hesitant to uh, guns and crossbows and, and you know, jumping forward, we, we now know from our follow-up data and running this two years that our hunters are transitioning very quickly to firearms. Yeah. Um, so, well, first yeah. off, one thing I definitely understand, like, you know, take the whole, obviously in our country right now, guns do have a stigma about them, uh, you know, regardless of how you feel about that, that's, that's just, you know, but I think even beyond that, you know, take the whole politics part out of it. 
even if you know you have some of these people that come from different backgrounds if you've never been around guns before they can be intimidating and you know someone who's raised in a hunting family doesn't realize that you know someone if you know if you were raised and you were you know dove hunting with a 410 with your daddy when you were little then guns don't intimidate you because you're raised around them but i you know i definitely understand how guns can intimidate someone and so and then archery can also be intimidating too because it looks difficult so crossbows are kind of like your middle ground so i i think it was a brilliant move on y'all's part you know going trying the crossbows first you know and uh tell me a little bit more about uh the curriculum that y'all go through like like what do these like what so when they come in what all do they get taught or presented before they get you know taken to the stage to where they go out and hunt so uh, sorry i got a little add and off track there when, <laughs> when i was talking about it but oh, that's cool man i'm, I'm definitely so, add too no problem <laughs> so we hit the the curriculum and training nights and we try to mix it up to make sure that we have field training mixed in with classroom curriculum so we don't just you know death by powerpoint them but we do the conservation history deer biology how that relates to hunting strategy lot of crossbow instruction Uh, we talk about hunting regulations strategy safety and then we do more crossbow instruction we do some field work as well Um, going out on tdma's got property here in athens and so we're able to get them out there in the woods looking at sign you know hank will give them a tour around talk about setting up deer stands and everything and try to cover the whole the whole process of it Um, and then we bring them back in for the hunt weekend and we actually get them in there a little bit early so they can meet their mentors. And the first year we use students from the UGA Deer Lab, and the which is the the school here at the uh, University of Georgia, right, right, deer biology. But yep, we we use those as the mentors. And this second year uh, we incorporated the QDMA local Athens chapter here, which actually worked really well. Those guys were great, and they're they're jumping back on it this year. But they came in and worked with their mentee, you know, the participant in the program to do right. some more shooting training. And that way they knew the capabilities of who they were taking out in the woods and they could dictate how far these people were going to be allowed to shoot. You know, did they just need to stick to 20 yards or could they reach out to 30 depending on their, their abilities. And then we'd get them out there for the hunts themselves that evening and the next morning and pending harvest would do a, a game cleaning instruction as well. Um, and the, the benefit about incorporating the local QDMA chapter was we were able to provide a bunch of follow-up opportunities. So yeah, that's that's this, yeah, that's huge. Oh, definitely. We started this email chain, and somebody that was a participant in the class would just shoot out an email and say, hey, I'm free Thursday afternoon. Can anybody take me? And one of the mentors or Hank or myself would reply and say, hey, you know, you could come hunt with me at, at this location. And it, it kind of went back and forth, and the majority of my har- or majority of our harvests ended up being on the, the follow-up opportunities. Do you remember how many there were, Hank? Um, I've got notes right here. I think we this year's program uh, harvested 10 deer. And as, yeah. you know, as Charles is saying, you know, all but one of those came up on follow-up hunts. Um, and, you know, five of these were when the new hunters were hunting on their own after they had been uh mentored by you know myself or charles or or their mentor with the local branch Uh, you know we're finding people who have you know 50 acres you know i mean these people have access they're not 
just people who have to find access. Of course, we help them. We try to show them resources to where they can, you know, knock on doors or look up stuff. But, right. you know, some of them have access. Some of them have property in their family. Uh, we've had, you know, Athens branch members who are mentors that opened up their properties to these new hunters. Um, you know, Charles has shared some of his access around town. So we've, uh, it really comes, the, the success of this program is in the follow-up hunts. Yeah. Um, I think the follow-up hunts alone, the fact that there are follow-up follow-up hunts happening, it shows that there's some success there. You know, because if there weren't any follow-up hunts, that means they went one time and were kind of just, eh. You know, uh, and I'm stepping back here. Did did I did I hear you right? Did you say that five of the deer got killed were on they were by themselves when they they when they killed it? Yep, yep. Five when they were on their own, um, and uh, you know some of those on their own property. Um, both years we've had people who have enrolled in the class. So, so we've had people sign up from 18 to 57, I believe, um, both male and female from, you know, undergrads to, um, you know, all kinds of different, we've had engineers, um, chiropractors, um, you know, a lot, we're getting a lot of universities. We had, uh, probably four or five graduate students this year, no undergrads this year. Um, but, you know, we're getting a very diverse group, yeah. um, and it, it's amazing the cohesion of the group, even with the mentors. Um, when we first brought everyone in the first night, the training, um, one aspect we failed to mention was we serve venison at every single one of the trainings. Um, we, we didn't serve it on the hunt, um, in the evening hunt this year. We might do that next year, but we, we serve venison to let them taste it. Um, you know, some of my favorite uh, you know, comments we've gotten back have been on the quality of the venison meals. But, yeah, yeah. you know, we want to show people that this is good because there's also stigmas against venison out there that I can't figure out. Yeah, um, for sure. We must yeah. process our deer poorly or cook it poorly. But a lot of people, we hear stories that so-and-so gave me a package of venison five years ago and I cooked it and my wife said I can never bring it back in the house or, yeah, or yeah. whatever. So, so we're breaking down some of that as well. But, um, just the cohesion of the group of these first time hunters, we get reviews that um, the enthusiasm of the mentors and, the, you know, obviously the knowledge, they, they talk about how it's infectious. But um, I always remember we went around the group and everybody, we asked everybody, to, you know, introduce themselves, who they are, what they do and why they signed up for the program. And we went around all the hunters and we had a couple of the branch members who stayed through every piece of the program because we really want to, make this something that's replicable and that others will will replicate around the country so we invite yeah. people in to see it all and uh and this gentleman he's one of the guys who hosted quite a few hunters on his property and he has a a, a leased piece of property that he leases out to hunters and uh, when it got around to him he said man y'all are a lot more interesting than my hunters i should flip my lease and let let y'all hunt there <laughs> you know and uh and, you know, I don't think he was that serious in it, but it, it just proves that, you know, it, it's it's inspiring. It's empowering to yeah. to see these new hunters, to be involved with it, to hear their stories and, and why they want to do it. And honestly, it's a, as genuine as a reason that anybody wants to hunt. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so it, it's it's great. Yeah, that, it is great all the way around. Let me ask you this. This is something I'm really interested in. So out of those... Um, you know, when they had these people, you know, that had taken a deer for the first time or whatever, uh, were you able to be there, uh, with any of those when they, when they ate, you know, say that the deer that they killed for the first time? 
So we host a celebratory dinner. It's one of the big aspects of the event. And um, and so we have hunters who harvest before it. it. It's usually soon after the organized hunt. So often it's right. before, you know, we've run the entire follow-up program. But um, both years we've had hunters donate some of their deer that was harvested previous to the dinner to feed right. the group. And, right. of course, every single one of us, and we buy, invite in, um, you know, representatives from all the partners to come to the event again we ask everybody to stand up tell us their you know favorite aspects of it and introduce themselves to the larger group but um we we always make this food centric and food focused and we celebrate the hunt and um these people are very giving with their venison um you know they even some of them have given a little bit to our freezer here so we can use it to recruit next year yeah yeah the whole reason i asked that is you know i think it kind of ties back in it's like i I can remember uh when i was a kid after i shot my first deer you know we got some meat and i remember when we the first time we ate it you know at deer camp with my family you know my cousins and uncle and stuff and we're like man we're eating lakes deer you know we're eating that first deer i shot i remember how proud i was you know it was just like this little it was just this sense of I don't know. It just felt really good. You know, it was like some sort of a accomplishment, you know, they were, I was like, man, my family's eating the deer I killed, you know? And so I was, oh, yeah. how did, you know, if, if you saw some of that, you know, cause I, you know, for, for me or, or both of y'all probably, you know, I went through that at a young age just cause of how I was raised up. But, you know, seeing that, you know, with those hunters that y'all had at, you know, anywhere from 18 to 50 something you said you know how was were they did you see that same kind of deal with them you know with them donating their their meals and stuff yeah i mean you, you definitely saw that satisfaction we had one gentleman that was a he's actually a race car engineer he builds race cars but he got he got into this program and he harvested i think it was two year of the first three year of the first year yep he bought a rifle you know he had access to a friend's property went out there killed three deer and then we just recently had this follow-up dinner you know aside from the the program it was just a separate thing where hank had invited him back in to hang out and everything right and we and we shared a venison meal but he was talking about how satisfying it is to put that venison on his family's table and feed his kids with that and it really is yeah it's clean meat you know it is high quality protein and um the cool thing about that is you know a lot of these programs that we've seen are focused on kids a a lot of the quote-unquote r3 programs that are still going on today and have happened in years past are focused on youth which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you take a kid hunting that doesn't come from a hunting family who's going to take that child afterwards right yeah you know you can teach them all of this stuff, but then they can't employ it. They don't have authority in their own lives. You know, they don't right. have transportation. They don't have discretionary funding. So the cool part about this and these programs that are focusing on adults is we are seeing, you know, they either have kids right now or they're going to have kids eventually. And then they'll bring them through what I would consider that to be that natural R3 process. Right. It's very time intensive to teach a job, but he plans to teach both of his children how to hunt. So yeah. it's pretty interesting to see the whole cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And to see just, yeah, like that level of satisfaction, that's got to be rewarding. Um, Not only, um, you know, are are they teaching their kids, but, you know, Charles and I share a belief that, you know, if we want to remain relevant as as hunters and hunting, we need to diversify. Oh, for sure. You know, there's a belief that if we 
teach these, you know, different groups of people how to hunt, they're going to talk to their peers. They're going to recruit their peers. You know, if we can seed enough hunters into all these different demographics, they'll replicate themselves. And we're seeing that we've had, we've had one guy named Edwin, who's a, uh, he's a graduate. Um, he's a doctor candidate at UGA and, uh, and he went hunting with us, uh, harvested his first deer, um, his, has harvested multiple deer now, but he's also recruited his major professor and two of his friends. So, so one guy's taken four uh, or three other adults hunting. So we taught one guy to hunt it immediately just replicates itself. Um, you know, they're, they're purchasing guns, sharing their meat. Um, and of course, you know, just, just the act of, of sharing a venison meal or sharing a package of venison with a non-hunter is probably, yeah. you know, the most diplomatic op- option we can give them to change somebody's point of view on hunting, whether they choose to take that and go hunting or just find a, a new respect or, or, you know, a view of hunting, um, you know, sharing the meals. We have a lot of people who have obviously put a, a deer in their freezer and, of course, shared that with a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, because um, I've said this before. I mean, like, it, it's not a realistic goal to to turn everyone in the United States into a hunter, but it, it is a realistic goal, I think, to turn everyone in the United States to accept hunting for what it is, you know. Uh, and the other thing, too, like you're saying about talking about diversifying, yeah, I think you're right. That, that could not be more important, especially this day and age. I, I was talking to um, – who was it? I think I was talking to Eva a few, it's been a few months ago, but again, you know, cause she was talking about her position. She feels like in the female hunters. Cause you know, even to this day, a lot of people still think when you say the word hunter, they think of a middle-aged white dude. And that's just, that shouldn't be the case. You know, that's not hunting has the word hunting and what it means has no tie to race, age, gender, ethnicity. It, it, it can be anyone for, you know, for anything. And that's, that's part of the beauty of it. And somehow, Somehow along the way that got missed, but programs like what y'all have are helping to change that, I think. Absolutely. So um, as far as Field to Fork, the future of it, you know, do y'all have any, any plans to, um, I know y'all spoke, you know, y- y'all said earlier about, you know, wanting someone to make it where it's replicable. Um, do y'all have any plans to, to, to do that, to make it more replicable or to make it more uh you know, exceed outside of, of Georgia? Absolutely. So um, we're currently working on standardizing the education for field to fork. We want to make that available to anybody who wants it. Um, I've, you know, here at QMA, we've set a goal of trying to host 20 field to fork events around the country this year. Oh, awesome. Charles and I are working on um, other replications in Georgia. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with some help, uh, recently National Shooting Sports Foundation offered us a grant for some field to fork stuff. We're going to film the program this year. Oh, cool. Um, and you know, that should allow us to show more people how to do it and also promote it. But, um, so far the interest, uh, from the outside has been amazing. Um, and, and we really want to help anybody kind of set these up because, you know, as you mentioned earlier, kind of the presentation at the R3 symposium was we're not doing anything exceptional. Anybody can do this. You know, it's really about finding, uh, you know, potential new hunters where they exist. You know, you, you, you've got to go to them if we want to be successful. 
and it's about offering them a helping hand and and being sincere about it. Yeah. Not just a side you know, comment like, "Oh, I'll take you hunting sometime if you want to go." Yeah. It, you know, it, it's look, we're here. We we made it here today for the explicit reason to recruit people who who are interested in going hunting, right. and, and we're finding from our feedback that that's a very large part of it is it it was we were there explicitly for them right you know so. yeah i love it man well, well look um final question and I, I won't hold y'all any longer um so if you know mainly the folks that uh listen to this podcast i know you know in the future we've had had some some actually had a few you know non-hunters that were interested in hunting listen to this podcast but our main audience are people that are hunters already so um if someone is listening to this and they're interested in field to fork or, or getting involved, is there anything they can go to right now or something they can be looking for in the future for them to get plugged into it? Um, Charles has written some awesome summaries that are on QDMA.com and we can provide you the links if we can put them under the podcast or something, but we've yeah, got absolutely. summaries of the events. And if you'll contact me or Charles, um, you know, we can give you the sample agendas and, and what we have, um, you know, really talking to an audience that's you know already hunters um, we have to understand the consequences of becoming such a minority of the population and we need to do our best to promote hunting in uh, you know a good light but it really comes down to either hosting organized mentor um, programs like this or just mentoring a new hunter each year and that's someone outside of your peer group outside of your family We've got to start replicating ourselves. We've done a poor job of growing the number of hunters, as we've all talked about. And, you know, whether we can entice you to try running a field-to-fork program or simply just mentor a new hunter this fall, if every hunter would mentor a new hunter each year, we could dig ourselves out of this hole fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, but Charles, you want to add anything? Yeah, I'll just kind of reiterate that a little bit. Um, these these programs are are awesome and we want to help anybody that wants to start a field field support program start one i mean we want to share everything that we have we have the agendas we have how to set it up the different protocols we can help with graphic design or whatever else is needed you know kentucky helped us get started we've modified it a little bit we want to help everybody else so this is not not really something that's ours this is something that we want to spread around the nation and mm -hmm. we don't care who does it as long as long as we're all headed down the same path yeah. but the biggest thing is we love these programs and we love doing them and they certainly are going to have an impact not only from increasing hunting participation but they're going to have that ripple effect within communities yeah you know, and I, we, we've already seen it in athens where people go through this and they tell their friends and those people tell their friends and since we live in athens you kind of hear it like i go down to the farmer's market or i'm out at you know, some bar or something. And I hear about people talking about this program. So yeah. it's pretty interesting how it's already kind of molding this community. Yeah. But the biggest thing is these programs by themselves are not going to fix everything. So just like Hank said, yeah, I if agree. you're listening to this and you hunt, take somebody new this year. I'm not just talking about kids. I'm, I'm talking about anybody, whether it's your neighbor's kid or it's your friend from work or, or just some, some, you know, associate from work. Just take somebody with you. And I hear all the time, you know, who should I take? I don't know anybody to take. Well, that's just simply not true. If you yeah. don't know somebody to take, you haven't looked. Because we're such a small percentage of the population, I guarantee you can find somebody to take with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's it, it's very yeah. That's not a very hard thing to find. I I definitely agree with that. And, and the other thing is is you know a lot of people are interested, and we're obviously you know, walking by them every day, as Charles mentioned, and we're not, and we're not associating that oh that person would be interested in learning to hunt. But it's a, it's about confidence. It's about being a mentor, and and not all of these people will you have to take hunting three times for them to gain confidence, but to at least show them some information to be willing to help them if they if they want to go out there and try to harvest a deer after the shot. Um, you know, it, it, they really just need somebody that they can bounce ideas off. Um, so, you know, there are different degrees of mentorship, but there's the opportunity out there completely. And, and what we've mentioned that makes this program work is that we we create relationships with these people and we it's a community as charles said and we we still trade emails um one of the participants uh emailed me this morning we have chanterelle mushrooms that are coming up on the property and she wants to know if she can come walk our property and look for mushrooms you know <laughs> yeah. so you know it, it's a community and we we stay together we've taken them on rabbit hunts this winter uh, we had a retired professor from uga who has dogs and uh, one of the mentors had a property that had recently cut and it was, he said, you know, one time he said, I don't know if we'll see any deer, but we'll definitely see rabbits when they were deer hunting. And we were thinking, oh man, if we could get those dogs to that property, you know, and we put together a rabbit hunt. It's not very replicable for these new hunters. They're not going to go out there and buy a bunch of beagles, but it was an opportunity to have more experience. A yeah. Different type of different type of exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Use a shotgun. We trained them on shotguns, but, um, you know, through this, you know, I call it like a full circle mentoring, uh, you know, direction, and as well as, you know, if you're going to mentor an individual out there, take your time and do it right. Yeah. This program, we're seeing 80% of our, uh, you know, first time hunters continue uh, to hunt after the program, which is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. But it's because we're doing a good job of giving them what they need to get started. And we, we still are there as a resource for them moving forward. Yeah, well, it's 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 part of too, like you said. You know, the community part of it. You know, you take someone hunting one time and then say, "All right, have fun. Hope you enjoyed it." You know, they're not going to know what to do. It's that community. Yeah. I mean, that, think about it. We say it all the time, but we say it because it's true. I mean, like part of the reasons. You know, when you talk about, you know, if you think about some of your best hunting memories, I promise you, you know, some of them are going to be involved with not just you know you taking an animal it's going to be involved with the people you're with and the whole community part that you were talking about so i think that that part that y'all have created is is a huge part to why you are seeing such a big you know um i guess you call it you know continuing to hunt why they're why they're not just doing a one and done why they're continuing to hunt and recruiting other hunters is because y'all are doing it like y'all saying the right way and taking it as far as it needs to go you know and, and showing them all of it you know and that's yeah that's it's an incredible thing and uh like you're saying it's not it's not uh it's a very that's the beauty of it too it's a very replicable thing other people could do this and i think it needs to be done i was i've been fortunate enough to share the stand with three different hunters that they've harvested their first year in the last two years through this program and i can tell you there's some of my most rewarding hunts and that's what i try to convey to all qma members and any hunters out there uh, you know, anybody who's taken a new hunter, whether it be their kid or just, a, you know, an associate, you, you realize that sometimes these are more rewarding than harvesting one yourself. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, that's what that's what we're finding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that absolutely. Well, um, guys, 
one, thank y'all for coming on the show, and thank you for explaining more about Field to Fork. Guys, thank y'all for listening. Uh, hopefully, y'all got something from this. We'll definitely throw up those links uh, that they that they talked about for the summaries for Field to Fork. Um, as always, if you have any sort of questions, uh, hunting-related questions or any Field to Fork questions, uh, you can send them to, to our page, and I'll, I'll get them to, to hanker to Charles if need be. Um, but, yeah, so that's it for this week. And as always, thank you all for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.